Good morning. Let's pray together and we'll continue. Father, please guide me and give me the words to speak and give me the, the courage to do so. Father, please, we want you to be glorified in all of this. And your word is, the, is how we find out about you. So please guide our hearts, guide your spirit through this in your son's name. Amen. So I grew up in a wonderful Christian family and attended a very conservative Christian school from nursery to grad school. I'm extremely thankful for my upbringing. My parents were hardworking and caring and self-sacrificing. I'm also thankful for my Christian schooling. Through that schooling, I learned about the finer things in life and how what is trendy and sparkly does not always last. It doesn't last very long, at least. I also learned the truly valuable things in life are costly for a good reason and that they are usually well worth the higher price tag. I also learned how to study the Bible. I took courses in hermeneutics and closely examined the life and ministry of Paul, the apostle. We formed creeds and doctrinal statements in order to best reflect the God of order that we saw through our study of scripture. And we tried to examine each part of those from every angle that we could do possibly. We were the tradition that followed the Bible, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. We got into, we got so into this, in fact, that we began fighting amongst each other about the finer points of those doctrines because we began to believe that we had figured out the few really deep doctrines that some people thought were difficult to understand. We sounded really, really, really smart, but in reality, we were divisive to the body of Christ. And we hurt a lot of people in the wake of our arrogance. Then, after I graduated from grad school, I met this beautiful, crazy little blonde who grew up Pentecostal. I thought she was adorable. <laughs> so I started hanging out with her and other people who were also Pentecostal. Now, from what I gathered from this tradition, experiencing God was the pinnacle of being close to him. I heard stories of incredible visions. People were experiencing God in such a tangible way that they were passing out because it was too much for their senses. These people would start dancing and speaking in languages I'd never heard because they were so moved by the Spirit of God. I am so thankful that I got to be close to these dear brothers and believers in this tradition as well, including the beautiful little blonde that I later married. From this tradition, I learned that there is way more to the Christian life than poring over books and, pr and perfecting my doctrinal statements. There's truly a joy that springs from God and a freedom to express that. However, both traditions had their downsides. In the tradition I grew up in, people who listened to a certain type of music were considered to be carnal or worldly Christians at best and unbelievers at worst. The same would go for how people dressed or whether or not you were free will or a Calvinist or a covenant theologian or whatever. On the other side of the spectrum, people would question if I was actually a good Christian if I'd never had a vision or been slain in the spirit. When I started to follow Christ after grad school, having these two sides trying to pull me in all different directions was horribly confusing. There were times I would just lay there in my bed pleading, God, please lead me. I have no idea what to make of all of this. I have seen the fallout from many people my age who grew up in these traditions too. They fell away and reject Jesus precisely because of these lines in the sand that these traditions would make. 
It seemed like a similar thing was happening to the church at Colossae. There were Jews coming in and teaching that these new Colossian Christians still needed to be circumcised and observe the Jewish feasts in order to be truly obedient to God for salvation. And there are still a lot of people today who say that as well. And on the other hand, there were Greek mystics who were coming in and teaching these baby Christians that, that they needed to worship angels as well in order to feel close to God. Both sides could be overwhelmingly convincing. The rich traditions of the Jews and the flashy philosophies from the Greeks could dazzle the imaginations of these baby Christians and modern-day Christians as well. Paul wrote this little letter to remove the confusing webbing from all of these sides. And I believe that is also pertinent for today, as it was when we first when it was first read. So Paul points the focus to Christ being the foundation for salvation. There is no other way to salvation apart from Christ. You cannot follow enough traditions, do enough good, not do enough evil in order to achieve self-salvation. There is one hope, one Lord, one Savior. That one is the image of the invisible God the firstborn among all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, firstborn from the dead, in that everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul talks about following this Jesus as dying to our former lives and being raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. We lived our lives hoping and building our lives around the promises that this world avows. But when we follow Jesus and his teachings, we see that what the world promises is actually empty and vain, and we die to that. We no longer trust in our stock portfolios or the promise of retirement fund. We no longer trust in that. God knows what we need, and he provides for us as he leads us through life. So we trust God instead. And through that, our souls are made alive. Our hope is in Christ. Now, let's dive into Colossians 3, the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians here. If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking things, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things above and not on the things of the earth. So what are these things above? What does he mean by setting your mind on the things of the earth? As we discussed earlier, one of the issues that Paul was dealing with in this letter was that there were false teachers who were saying to these Gentiles, Christians, that they need to be circumcised and observe the Jewish holidays in order to follow Christ. Those things that are just things that concern the body whether a certain part of you has been cut or if you eat a certain amount of food. Those are merely pictures and reminders of the faithfulness of God in certain parts of history. Are they good reminders? Well, sure. Yes, they really are. But are they vehicles for salvation from sin? 
No. As Paul says in, this, in chapter 2, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in, self-promoting, in promoting self-made religion and, and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, if those aren't very helpful, instead of focusing one Instead of focusing on what to do with with all of that, our bodies tell us, to the Colossians, to set your mind on things above. What are those things above that are with Christ? Well, Christ is, for one. (laughs) He is above. Look at his teachings that are spelled out in the gospel. What did he teach were important to his children of the kingdom? Read the Gospels and find out. I can't do justice to them right here, but go back and read those and you will see what he's talking about. So why should we set our minds above instead of focusing on the things for today? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus Christ is our life. He is our hope, our rock, our refuge. In him lays everything that we have. So, because Christ is our life, instead of the daily things that sustain our bodies or the things that culture tells us life is all about, there are a few things that we need to shed from our previous lives. This is how you take your mind off of what is earthly. So put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So in this, we see that life isn't about you, nor is it about fulfilling your passions. These things are earthly and temporary. Just like circumcision, these things fade away and are not something that we can take with us. So why do we set our mind on these things? The satisfaction from sex outside of marriage is fleeting at best. The tingles from heart-throbbing romance wears off, as those of us who have been married for a while know. Yes, marriage is still amazing, but the youthful passion does wear off, and that's fine. That's actually how relationships grow and mature. Don't set your mind on finding that passion there. Even the things that we desire these things that we, that we chase after, they fade away too. The things that the Vikings raided for are all gone. It was all for naught. So why set your mind on these things? And in these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here, there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Not only should we take our minds off of the things that we attain for our bodies, but we should also put off what we think about ourselves. Do not think of ourselves as more worthy than another person or not. When that is challenged by other people, we tend to get angry or we cut other people down in order that we may be seen as more important than they are. We lie to avoid consequences and even to appear more important than we actually are. 
That shouldn't be. Instead, we are to renew our minds in order to submit ourselves to the image of our Creator. In Him, in His kingdom, there are, no, there are not different degrees of worthy people. There are not different degrees of intelligence or social standing. There are not slaves or free men. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all equally undeserving. But Christ is all in all. We are the recipients of his grace, not because we did anything right or wrong. No, we receive his unmerited grace because he wants to extend that to us, even though we are not worthy. So take your minds off of yourself. You're not here to accumulate stuff that will crumble as time passes. You're not here to make a name for yourself. So why exert all that energy in worrying about what you will have in your house or what people will think about you? Instead, Paul tells us to set your minds above. So let's see what he means by that. Let's continue on. Put on, then, as, Christ, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see a stark contrast between life that our earthly culture creates and the life that is set above. Our culture says, find out what makes you happy in life and then let that guide you. But Christ tells a different message in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the entire world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? People today say it's okay to live this way or that way because they were born that way. And I'm simply being honest to myself. Jesus came to earth and paid the sacrifice for our sins because we are broken and cannot fix ourselves because we are naturally born enemies of God. Whether that looks like the world or it looks good from the outside, we are all hopeless in that. Rather than seeking our own happiness in life, Paul tells us that we should have a heart that is full of compassion. Then rather than seeking passionately romantic relationships, Paul tells us that we should be patient and meek and humble and rather than wanting something that we don't have so much that we covet that thing, we are to be kind to each other, including that, pay, that person who makes enough money that it seems they'd never have to worry about making ends meet. It's so easy to, to look at that person and be like, ah, I wish I could do that. But no, be patient and trust in God for that. What a contrast. 
Essentially, Paul tells us to get our eyes off of ourselves and our wants and onto Christ and his will. Or, in other words, stop reflecting yourself as your own God, which is idolatry, and instead reflect the God who is truly worthy of our worship as an image bearer, like we were designed to be. God forgave every one of your sins through that sacrifice of Jesus. Now, because our lives are to be a reflection of the God we claim to believe in, you also ought to forgive people that are hurting you or looking, or people that, um, that your boss looked past you to give that promotion to or, steal, or the person who stole from you or who challenges your authority or really anything. Forgive that person. It isn't okay to hold a grudge against another, and especially someone in the church. And above all that, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's not like a love that we define naturally. We tend to define or really reflect love to only caring for the people that are nice to us or that love us as well. That isn't the kind of love that Jesus talks about here, though. God's love isn't dependent upon our doing right or wrong, or even loving him in response. And thank goodness it isn't, too, because I would definitely not be deserving of God's love. In Romans, Paul defines it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while you were drowning in your bottle, Christ died for you and forgave you before you ever did a single thing right. Even while you're looking at porn, Christ died for you and loved you. Even while you did all sorts of things, whatever guilt is holding you down, Christ died 2,000 years before you ever did that. And he paid for that sin. It's gone. It is no longer here. That's the love that we have in God. Were we deserving of it? No, certainly not. He knew he could never make it up, but he still did that. Matthew said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than other people are already doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is the love that God shows. And our lives need to reflect that. No more petty arguments. No more malicious talk about someone who you don't like personally. No more anger. No more taking down someone who you think isn't quite as good as you and you want to be seen as better. Your tongues are to reflect the love of God that he has for his people. Those people that you speak to and about. That kind of love will breed unity in the church. This kind of love will instill the peace of God in our hearts and further reflect the peace that we have with God because of Christ. A great way to develop that love is to let the word of God dwell in you richly. I love how Paul phrased that. Let it dwell in you richly. 
It goes hand in hand with Psalm 1, where the psalmist says that a wise man meditates on the Lord's word day and night. And he shall be a, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and that man will prosper in all of his ways. Immerse yourself in the word of God. That's referring to Christ and his teachings. The Gospels are a great place to start again. We can teach you until we're blue in the face up here, but until you dwell in what is written here in the Bible, you will never dwell richly, and it will never dwell richly in you. Let Christ's teaching permeate your heart and your soul and your mind. Now, with God's word coursing through your soul's veins, you can teach and admonish other people in wisdom, being like-minded with Christ, who patiently teaches you. The section that talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs was referring to a section of the early uh, Colossian church meeting, but I would argue it also applies to singing now in our modern church services as well, as outside of them too. Whether it's singing or speaking or teaching, admonishing or serving, let it be done with thankfulness to God, because that's what we're doing it for, not to make ourselves better. And let God guide you through that. He is the head of our church. It's not Pastor Rob. It's not the elders. It's Christ. And that goes for anything, really. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does that kind of life look like? It sounds so wonderful. Let's see what it actually looks like for other people, for us to live in humble thankfulness to God instead of the selfishly scraping up things that our culture values. What does that look like practically? Paul goes on and he hones in on a couple things. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents for that is pleasing to God. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoers will be paid back the wrong that is done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And all of us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, our lives in Christ and the love that we should express to the church see, uh, seeps its way into every facet of our lives. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, masters, church, outsiders, each person. From your family life, to the crazy driver who cuts you off, Christ is all and in all. He is the, imi the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. And in him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. 
and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him is all the fullness of God, and was, was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace with the blood of his cross. Jesus already did the impossible thing. He presented us holy, blameless, and above reproach to God by his death. And all we have to do is reflect that in every part of our life. That's what made the early Christians stand out among their culture. Even in the face of tremendous persecution, the church flourished. I listened to a lecture by N.T. Wright this week, and, and something he said about the early church really stood out to me. He was pointing out the difference between the early, the, the, the medieval, and the modern church, among other things. Even while the church was being imprisoned, or worse, it was still growing, and people were still wanting to be a part of it. There were, of course, philosophical theologians who did the rational arguments, uh, but what counted as the real Christian apologetic was brought more, which brought more and more people into the church, was how justice, spirituality, beauty, and freedom came peeping out in their lives. This was a community that was doing justice in a sense that putting things right locally by caring for the poor and the sick. This is a community where prayer mattered and God was fully present. This was a community where the sense of the cross-cultural family, a new type of relationship previously unimaginable, was a reality. This was a community where art and music sprang up, not in the least in the liturgy, where a sense of freedom flourished, even for slaves, where the truth of the new world included but transcended the old, and where the power of love challenged and overcame the love of power. No wonder people wanted to join. This is what Paul was safeguarding in Colossians. Set your mind on Christ and what he is doing, and then live out that life in confident community with each other. Now, something I've learned with teaching youth and in other ways if we allow it, the word of God is actually perfectly clear in what it is saying. And sometimes, in an effort to teach, I can actually make it more confusing by expounding on it and the simplicity, clarity, and power that the author get, had gets a little bit muddled. So, what I'd like to do at this point is simply read the passage, starting in chapter 2, verse 6, how I would imagine Paul would speak to you, a country church. A country church... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or, or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the culture of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In him you were sanctified with a circumcision that was made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, which, have, which being buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised us from the dead and raised him from the dead 
and you who were dead in your trespasses and the worldliness of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all of our, transgr- uh, all of our trespasses by creating and canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This God set aside and he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and opinions of our culture and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Because of this, let no one pass judgment on you on question of food or drink or with regard to observing Jewish holidays. These are only a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by, by their physical minds and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the culture of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, making decisions based on your passions, evil desire and covetousness, which is actually idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not heathen and people born into a Christian home, foreigner and native, uneducated and doctorate, employee and independently wealthy, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing others in, in all wisdom, singing psalms and praises and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Therefore, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, 
and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases God. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people pleasers or to get a promotion, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality in that. The rich will be judged with the poor. And employers, treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it for thankfulness. At the same time, pray also for us, all of us, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which Paul was put into prison, that we may make it clear which is how we ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That is how the church lives. That's how the church flourishes. And God is magnified in that through how we, each one of us, lives and exemplifies that for the people around us. It isn't the pastors who do the most work. It isn't the missionaries who do the most work in the kingdom of God. It is you guys. You guys have so much influence in your community that you have no idea. People see you, and you are their channel to God. Some people might never get to see God in the way. They may not ever get to speak to a pastor or a missionary, but they will see you. They'll rub shoulders with you, they'll rub elbows with you, and they will find out who God is through the way that you live, whether that's accurately or inaccurately. We see both throughout history. So what are you guys going to do with it? Will Christ be preeminent in all things? Or will your life be preeminent in, in everything that you do? That's up to you to decide. Let's pray.